This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. It's the topic on everyone's minds these days. What do you do in a pandemic? And for employment lawyers specifically, how do you protect the workplace? I'm an eternal optimist, but even I'm having trouble not going down the path to worst case scenario when it comes to the novel coronavirus. Conveniently, the CBA has a guide to navigate just that. In today's episode of The Every Lawyer, we're chatting with Sheila Osborne-Brown. She co-authored the CBA's Pandemics and the Workplace Resource for Lawyers. It helps lawyers advise clients on protocol during a pandemic, and it can also help them assess the effect of a pandemic on their own workplaces. Sheila is senior counsel and team leader at the Canadian Human Rights Commission. She does both litigation and legal advisory work. She's been actively involved in the CBA, uh, and that includes serving on the Committee on Professional Development, the International Initiatives Committee, and the National Labor and Employment Law Section as an executive. She's a member of the bars of Ontario, Newfoundland and Labrador, and California. Sheila, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Marlisa. I'm really happy to be here. I wanted to start with the basics, and that's what we actually mean by the word pandemic. I think a lot of us, including myself, use it without really understanding its definition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, essentially, you know, there are various definitions. And I think if you go on um, various websites, you'll see that uh, there's slight variations. But okay. essentially, it's an epidemic that occurs worldwide and crosses international boundaries, usually affecting a large number of people. Um, and usually it would be a specific disease to which people have little or no immunity. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and so we've heard of H1N1 and SARS that were two pandemics in recent history. Do we know if the novel coronavirus is at that level yet? Uh, I just actually heard a, a recent broadcast from uh, the World Health Organization, and the answer as of today when we're recording is no, it is not. Okay. And today we're February 24th. That actually leads me directly to my next question. Who is the body that declares a pandemic? Is it the World Health Organization? Yes, it is. Uh, on, on an international scale, but mm-hmm. with respect to Canada, it would be the federal government. Okay. And do we know if the federal government is following the lead of the World Health Organization or are they using different evidence to make their determination? Well, I mean, I'm certainly not a public health expert. Right. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, but, you know, generally, um, of course, Canada is going to be paying close attention to um, the World Health Organization. And uh, I keep an eye on the Public Health Agency of Canada website, which, you know, keeps Canadians informed. And in fact, the um, definitions that I mentioned from about a pandemic comes from that website um, and materials that are available through that website. So generally, you know, Canada, though, will, of course, look at the national situation before uh, declaring whether or not there's actually a situation of a pandemic in Canada or, you know, it could be an epidemic that Canada might be looking at. But what what's happening worldwide is not necessarily what's happening in Canada. So it's very context specific. 
you mentioned a resource earlier that you go to for Canada-specific information. Would you mind just reiterating what it is for our listeners? Yes. So generally, um, you can just Google Public Health Agency of Canada. You know, there's lots of information there. Um, The definitions that I referred to earlier are from that website, as well as from um, there's a influenza preparedness planning guide that's available through that uh, through that website. So lots of information there. Okay, so for any type of public health information, the Health Agency of Canada is a really good resource for Canada-specific information. Yes, exactly. And that's interesting that you mentioned that because there are many different uh, types of information there dealing with public health. So it's not just to do with something that might be a more serious situation Mm -hmm. now at this time, but um, it could be just day-to-day issues with regard to public health. Great. So a good resource. And speaking of good resources, um, the CBA Pandemic Guide is you know, an excellent resource in this area. And as I was reading through it, I realized how complex an area of law it is. There's so many different um, issues that come into play. And the guide does a really nice job of talking about what the case law says in certain circumstances. But I wanted to talk to you more about big picture first. And I wanted to start with some best practices for employers when it comes to dealing with any potential pandemic scenario. I'm talking about things that are you know, fairly easy to implement uh, and protect as many people as possible. Uh, Yes. So thanks so much for your comments about the guide. Yeah. So um, the guide's called Pandemics and the Workplace, a resource for lawyers. And um, it was spearheaded by the uh, Labor and Employment Law Section Executive back in 2014 um, and is available through the CBA website. It's actually a really good start for uh, lawyers who might be advising employers with respect to what do you need to do to be prepared in the event that there is either an epidemic or um, the unfortunate case when there would be a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of information there about getting ready, doing a workplace pandemic plan. This is not unfamiliar, I think, to lawyers and to employers and large organizations, because it's it is a part of what you would think of as risk management, and right. it could be relevant in many types of situations, including in Canada. As we know, we have lots of snow, lots of storms in the winter, and sometimes businesses have to shut down and have certain types of uh, contingencies that have to be put in place Mm -hmm. um, when there's an emergency situation. Well, it's a similar thing for uh, a pandemic plan. So you would want to cover things like communications planning. How are you going to talk to your staff? Uh, Who should employees contact if they're not well? Is the business going to be remain operational? What do you have to do to remain operational? Uh, Which positions are identified for as positions that really have to be filled uh, during a time when the operations might be affected because, say, for example, people are sick or people have to be home taking care of sick family members. And so all these types of things need to be uh, put in place. Also, I think it's important that lawyers who are advising employers would say to them, look, it's Not necessarily that when you're in the midst, say, of an emergency situation that everything has to go into a place all of a sudden. Right. Um, Yeah, people need to look at risk management in in a time when 
maybe the emergency isn't actually present in Canada or in your particular region, Mm -hmm. but you want to be careful. You want to take precautions. And again, that's a part of good risk management. For example, promoting um, increased cleaning procedures, reducing travel, for example, possibly offering an on-site flu shot clinic. Um, So those types of things also are really important in terms of being prepared. Okay. So it sounds like some of the best practices in this area right now are to get a plan in place and then promote uh, health and risk management procedures like lots of hand washing, uh, flu clinics, um, and things like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And other things that, you know, employers will want to think about, um, and sometimes this can happen just in the regular day-to-day as well, because we know there's more and more now um, uh, situations in workplaces where people are teleworking, for example. Right. Um, they're working a lot of their day or they're maybe three days a week at, from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so an employer will want to put uh, their minds to, how can I actually increase that if there's a time when there's a lot of sickness uh, in a particular area where my uh, where my business is? Right. Um, and so... Can more employees work from home, for example? Um, So that's something to think about. That's a really good point. So using technology and extending work from home policies that you already have in order to keep people, you know, out of the workplace as much as possible. Exactly. Okay. Um, When it comes to the pandemic plan, if a workplace doesn't have one right now, and again, we're, we're in about the end of February, is this something that like everyone needs to drop what they're doing and draft immediately? Or do you think it's something that can wait? I actually think that if, um, and, you know, this is more my, my personal view, I guess. Sure, yeah. Um, but uh, I think that it's important that employers or businesses that don't have a pandemic plan would mm-hmm. actually, yes, start to work on one. And I don't okay. mean that, you know, they have to sort of drop everything and, uh, you know, treat it as an emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's necessary. But I do think it's something that people should really put their minds to and should start now. And, right. you know... Some uh, workplaces, and we talk a bit about this in the uh, guide, um, have, uh, you know, health and safety committees that are made up of, you know, they're actual formal committees and they're made up of employer representatives like management representatives and employee representatives. And, you know, whether there is one of those committees or not, that's a good way to work on a pandemic plan, to have input from um, various parts of the organization um, okay. so that, you know, it's a very well-informed plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I think, yes, it, it, it's an essential resource for businesses to have. Okay, so we don't just want one employment lawyer drafting it off the side of their desk. We want input from a variety of stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And it could be something that, uh, you know, a lawyer would give advice on what should be included and could mm-hmm. even get, say, give perhaps some kind of a template or help to do the ba- basics and the foundation of a plan. And mm-hmm. then the um, there would be input, of course, and that would be fleshed out by the people who are actually in the business and, and right. know the day-to-day operations of the business. Okay. Speaking about day-to-day operations of the business, what are some differences in the workplace during a pandemic? I, I know there's a really helpful chart at the beginning of the guide setting out some of them, and I was just wondering if you could give us an overview of what some of the big differences could be during a pandemic in a workplace. 
Yeah, sure. And uh, yes, we do have a chart uh, dealing with that. And, um, you know, it's divided into sort of an interpandemic period, which would be when it's essentially pretty well business as usual, a mm-hmm. pandemic alert period when it's at, at the stage where you think, well, it's possible there could be a pandemic. There isn't one now, but we're, we're getting ready. We're putting some measures in place. And then the pandemic period. And in an actual pandemic period, which we certainly hope will be a very, very infrequent occurrence, mm-hmm. um, you know, it could be that, for example, many of the decision makers in the business are ill and mm. unavailable. Um, right. So, you know, that begs the question, who is going to make a decision now. So if you've got someone, for example, who's uh, normally the person that looks at accommodation for employees um, uh, under human rights legislation, um, well, who's going to do that now? And uh, which supervisor is going to do that? Um, What about record-keeping staff? Some of the record-keeping staff could be ill, or some of the people in human resources who are giving the really germane advice with respect to dealing with employees who may be ill, uh, who may not be able to come into work. Um, And so that's something to think about. As well, you're going to have a situation where decisions might have to be made very quickly. That will also uh, be affected by the legislation that's in place. So, you know, there's various types of legislation that uh, could come into um, to be relevant during a time mm-hmm. of a pandemic, including occupational health and safety legislation, emergency measures, um, public health legislation. And uh, sometimes, um, for example, in a normal situation when uh, you might ask for a doctor's note, you're not going to do it in the time of a pandemic because there's mm-hmm. some kind of uh, a directive, say a public health directive, that indicates that people have to stay at home in certain circumstances um, or shouldn't go to the doctor uh, in certain circumstances, instead should be calling to see what they should do. So um, that's also something that could be different in the time of a pandemic. Okay, so we have, uh, and I was actually going to ask you a bit about the legislation in a minute, so that's great that you brought it up already. So we have legislation in place potentially that will affect um, our procedures and decision making. We have some key decision makers who might not be available uh, in the workplace. And so those are some really big differences during a pandemic outbreak. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay. Okay. And so you mentioned some of the legislation. I know it's going to change from jurisdiction and, you know, it's kind of going to be in flux. Some will be in effect, some won't be. But um, what types of legislation are we dealing with generally when it comes to responding to pandemics? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with legislation that will um, address public health issues okay. um, and also emergency measures uh, legislation. Now, mm. you know, there, it, that differs from province to province, territory to territory, as well as on the federal level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing that um, people will see if they look at the guide is that we did try to draw from legislation from various different um, uh, jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and But, of course, uh, people have to check what's relevant in their own jurisdiction and as well, you know, they they will see the type of legislation uh, set forth in the guide, but then they're going to want to look and see, hmm, you know, has that been uh, updated? Has right. Have there been changes to the legislation as well as uh, case law? 
Okay, great. Thanks. And so one thing when just legislation triggered for me is privacy rights, because privacy rights for employees can really change during a pandemic. Is that right? Will you explain that a bit more? Yeah. So, um, you know, it is uh, something that's very relevant, um, the right to privacy uh, during a pandemic. And of course, it's always relevant, you know, in our day-to-day yeah. lives, both as employers, employees, and just as citizens. Um, but uh, in a public health emergency, um, you know, the powers to collect and use and disclose information um, can be different. Um, and mm-hmm. that's because, you know, there are Uh, considerations with regard to the collective public health um, Mm -hmm. of of a population, of a workforce. Um, And uh, actually, there's a, you know, if people are looking for a resource that uh, discusses this, um, the Office of the Privacy Commissioner of Canada uh, has a good uh, resource uh, called Privacy in the Time of a Pandemic for Organizations. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it actually was um, published both by the um, OPC as well as the Privacy Commissioners uh, of British Columbia and Alberta. And oh. so um, that's quite useful. There's also a resource resource for employees um, that's mm-hmm. on um, the OPC website. So that can be useful and sort of explains some of the differences in a time of a pandemic. Now, and at any time when it comes to privacy, you mm-hmm. you know you want to, if there has to be some kind of release of information, for example, you want to make it as small as possible. You know, mm-hmm. it's you try to go on a need to know basis, um, and uh, also if indeed you have to get more information from employees than you normally would because it's a time of a pandemic, you want to be transparent with the employees about um, why, you know, what mm-hmm. is the authority to collect this information? What's the legislative legislative authority, but also what's the reason why, you know, what's mm-hmm. the health reason why? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, uh, you know, it has to, there has to be some uh, common sense uh, used as part of it and practicality as well. I think, you know, everyone realizes that, in the time of, uh, you know, of sickness, uh, that might be um, uh, either in an epidemic or a pandemic, that there might have to be different measures put in place. Right. Um, and uh, so I think, but I think it's important to explain why. Yeah, give people the why as to why you're collecting more information than you normally would have the right to. I think that's some really topical advice. I mentioned earlier H1N1 and SARS, which are two kind of most recent pandemics in our history. Did we learn anything from them when it comes to this area? Well, I, you know, certainly if you look at some of the resources on various websites, I think it is uh, recognized that we did. And, and when I say we, I mean society in general, I guess, mm-hmm. as well as healthcare providers and governments did learn from, particularly, I think, from the the SARS um, uh, virus and everything that happened around that. And, you know, there's certainly a lot of reports that are available on SARS and the lessons learned from SARS as well as from H1N1. But I think, you know, it certainly points out that 
there needed to be communication and there needs to be good communication. Uh, I've certainly read that in some of the uh, resources that I've seen on, on various websites. Communication between governments, so between federal government, provincial and territorial, as well as municipalities. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think, you know, if you look at it in an employment context, it also shows the importance of communi- good communication between um, business and the business's employees. And okay. um, I think something to think about as well is that, um, you know, uh, one thing that perhaps has been discussed more since we did the guide is the advent of accessibility legislation um, mm. in some provinces, as well as now in the federal context. And, you know, that deals with communication and the importance of accessible communication. And so, you know, businesses have to make sure that when they are communicating to their employees, they do it in a way that it's available to everyone and take into account if people have um, issues with regard to being able to hear or being able to uh, see. And so um, it will be important that that communication is done in a way that the technology makes it available to everyone. Okay, so strong communication between different levels of government um, globally, and then also between the organization and its employees in an accessible way. Yes. And, you know, I want to point out again that I'm certainly not a public health expert, but, you know, in terms of employment situations and uh, dealing with accommodation, for example, dealing with uh, caregiving situations that might arise when people are ill at home and either your employee is ill or they have to take care of either a child or someone else in their family who's sick, you know, it will be important to communicate with them to say, this is how we're going to arrange that. This is how we're going to support you um, Mm -hmm. to do your work. Or if you can't do your work, um, here's how we're going to arrange things. So it's very important to communicate that because, and this is something we haven't talked about, I know, but, you know, a time of a lot of illness, pandemic or epidemic, it's a difficult time for people. Mm-hmm. Um, they're worried. They're, there are a lot of unknowns. Mm-hmm. And as well, they might be dealing with grief, you know, right. with someone they know may have died or be quite ill. And so I think it's really incumbent on employers to uh, really be sensitive to that. And mm-hmm. um, although it, obviously they have to take care of their employees and take care of their clients from a public health perspective, they also have to be sensitive to some of the mental health issues that arise um, during a time of great illness. Right. You know, I wouldn't have thought about that, but that's such a... Um... Yeah, that's such a strong point that people are going through grief and other things as well. So mental illness is really just as important as physical health. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. And you spoke a little bit already about this question, but I know the guide was published in 2014. And, you know, this is an emerging area of law. Uh, one of the big changes you talked about was the advent of accessibility legislation uh, since the publication of the guide. Are, is there any other kind of big changes you can think about in this area? Uh, well, just perhaps that people are more aware of of the possibility of a pandemic. Um, mm. I certainly, you know, I think that SARS and H1N1 were really wake up calls 
um, and people became very much aware of the seriousness of a potential pandemic situation. Um, you know, one thing that um, we say in the guide is that, you know, widespread illness is inevitable. And I've read this in other places as well, that, um, you know, a new contagious disease giving rise to widespread illness and potentially also deaths um, has happened before. Mm-hmm. And this will happen again. And so mm-hmm. this is one of the reasons why the planning part is really important. And it's an important risk management strategy. Um, right. You know, I don't want to be alarmist. And I, I think it's important to to, to not be uh, raising something that's going to cause people to panic and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But I just think that it's uh, a responsible part of day-to-day business, I guess, to... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to manage risk, to prepare for contingencies. And uh, I think pandemic planning or just planning for, you know, some kind of an epidemic, for example, even if that means and uh, that it's a season when there's a lot of the regular uh, influenza um, that, right. that might be more prevalent, um, that also brings in some of these issues that we talk about in the guide. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that, I think that's a really good note to end on. So, you know, no need for alarm, but part of risk management is putting these plans in place. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Well, Sheila, thank you so much for your time and for your expertise today. It was a pleasure to chat with you. Well, thanks so much. It was a pleasure to chat with you. What a fascinating and topical discussion today. Thanks to Sheila for explaining the ins and outs of this area. I'm off to wash my hands right now. You should too. If you want to learn more, the toolkit can be accessed through the CBA website under the Sections and Community Labor and Employment Resources tab or at cba.org pandemics. We'd be interested in hearing your own experiences with this area and your thoughts on how to keep your workplace employees and clients safe during a pandemic. Tweet to us at CBA underscore news, or you can reach me at my handle at MarliseSS. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to receive notifications for new episodes and leave us a review. We also have a podcast in French called Je Riste Blanchet. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. Mm-hmm.